Welcome to the Explorer's Logbook Podcast, where we at the Dreaming Robot Laboratory scour the universe for interesting people to chat with. Today we're talking with William Wolf, an author who believes too weird is just the right amount of weird. William, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. You have a new book out, Houdini's Curse, which continues Alex and Bone's ghost hunting journeys. What inspired you to write about the ghost of Houdini? Well, my first book, and the first book in the Phantom Files series, was about a mythic figure in American literature, and that was Mark Twain. I wanted the second book to deal with someone equally legendary, and Harry Houdini certainly fits that bill. He was more than a magician and an escape artist. He was, in many ways, our first superhero, Superman, able to perform feats that seemed impossible for mere mortals. I think when today's amazing musicians like uh, David Copperfield or Chris Angel are long forgotten, the amazing Houdini will still set the standard in showmanship. Absolutely. Tell me more about Alex and Bones, your main characters. How did you come up with the concept of a boy who can see ghosts but doesn't want to, and a boy who doesn't see ghosts but wants more than anything else to see an honest-to-goodness ghost? Well, I like to make my characters unhappy. That brings that you know, the humor and the, the real life situations of, of, of people. If you don't have any unhappiness, you don't really have much of a story. So Alex hates ghosts and his, his best friend is a boy who wants more than anything else to see ghosts. He's a paranormal fanatic and he doesn't know that his best friend, Alex, can see ghosts. So he is constantly trying to convince Alex that ghosts are real, to take him on ghost hunts. That only makes it worse for Alex. So they're both both struggling here to stay friends when they're so far apart on this one issue. I think it brings a lot of humor and also some um, touching moments and, and some, just some extra humanity. So are you personally more Alex or Bones? Bones, no question about that. I've never had a paranormal experience in my life, even though I would dearly love to. I've been to several ghost hunting expeditions and I've never seen a darn thing. They just make themselves scarce when I'm around. So I just say I am a ghost repellent. So you're Bones, but you really want to be Alex. That's it. Maybe not quite to Alex's um, extent because ghosts can be pretty annoying, but I would like to see proof. <laughs> so on a completely different subject, Monkey's Eyebrow, Kentucky. Fact or fiction? Totally fact. It's tiny community in the northwest part of Ballard County, Kentucky, way on the far tip uh, of Kentucky, up against the uh, the Ohio River and the Mississippi River, right where they converge. No one quite knows how Monkey's Eyebrow got its name. There's several several different stories as to how, how that name came to be. One is that the Ballard County looks from the air geographically like a monkey's head and that monkey's eyebrow was situated right where the eyebrow would be. I don't buy that. It stems from a bushy eyebrow looking uh, plants that grow in the area. And I don't believe that either, uh, but I don't have a better story to beat them. So what is your connection with monkey's eyebrow, Kentucky? I grew up just a few miles from there. I could sort of see it out my back window. It's home, along with uh, other wonderfully named places in Ballard County, like Bandana and Ingleside and New York, and Oscar. Great place. Well, I looked up a map of Kentucky and confirmed that, yes, indeed, there is a monkey's eyebrow. 
I didn't know that until we met. <laughs> but you learn something all the time. So there's a lot of your home state in Houdini's curse, including the local legend, Big Jim Porter. For those of us living in a different time zone, who is Big Jim Porter? Big Jim was a fascinating guy who grew up in Shipping Port, Kentucky, they called it. It's really a part of Louisville now, but then it was separate. It was called Shipping Port. And it was where they took goods off the flatboats coming down the river and had to haul them across land to get on boats on the other side of the Louisville Falls, which isn't exactly a, uh, a waterfall like Niagara, but it's where water is shallow and goes down a series of sharp drops. And that was the way that they got their goods across. But more to the point, he was in, in shipping port and he grew up a very small, kind of a frail kid. He was so so small that he was a jockey. Jockeys have to be, are usually pretty short. So he was 14 years old. He was a jockey at the Shipping Port Racetrack. And then he got a growth spurt that just didn't know when to stop. He started growing it up to an inch a year. It started at 17 and before it stopped, he stood seven feet, eight inches tall, weighed 300 pounds, had hands that were 13 inches long from the wrist to the top of the middle tip of the middle finger, and his feet were 14 and a half inches long. So he was truly a giant. Oh, wow. He died at, at 48, and they realize now that what he had was a hormone disorder called uh, acromegaly. So I understand the hospital in Houdini's Cursed is based off a rather famous haunt in your neck of the woods. Well, it was, I guess, a, a number of haunts. It was, uh, the hospital was based on Waverly Hills Sanatorium, which was a tuberculosis hospital, opened in 1926 when people were just dropping like flies from tuberculosis, the, the consumption. About 5,000 people died there before the hospital shut down, and that wasn't until the early 60s. So it's considered one of the most haunted places in the world. It's been featured on just about all the ghost hunting TV shows like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventurers and you name it. They've probably been there to do an investigation. As I mentioned, I was there a couple of times, but they made themselves scarce while I was around. Maybe they were just sleeping. <laughs> maybe so. Or maybe they, would, they were worried that you were going to put them in a new book. <laughs> Aside from Houdini's Curse, one of your short stories, Mad Dad, is in the Young Explorer's Adventure Guide, Volume 6, coming out this December. I have to say, I really enjoyed this story, and I'm glad it's in this year's anthology. What prompted you to write about living with a mad scientist father? I like pairing normal people, or people who think they're normal, with eccentrics. In this case, the daughter's a brilliant, brilliant uh, woman, a girl, a daughter of an equally brilliant dad. But dad's experiments, which he means to help the world, always backfire. So he's considered an, considered an evil, mad scientist. Now it's up to his daughter to rescue him from, uh, from his own creations. And I guess we'll have to wait until December to find out how that turns out. I wouldn't want to give the story away. Absolutely. So I know you've been at the computer working on the third book of the Phantom Files series, and you've chosen an interesting ghost. And that would be Nellie Bly. Well, Nellie Bly is one of history's most fearless women traveling solo around the world and getting herself committed to an asylum for a newspaper expose. Will she be full of adventure in the ghostly realm? Oh, you know it. Nellie would never let anyone get a scoop away from her, not even after she's dead. So what made you write about Nellie Bly in your third book? 
I am a former journalist, spent most of my life writing and editing newspaper stories. She was a hero to me. She really changed journalism, made it much more interesting. She was the right woman at the right place at the right time, at a time when women were not allowed to be reporters, not full-fledged reporters. They might have one to do the, the society news and cover the tea parties and the weddings, but the real reporting was reserved for the men. And she showed that women could do just as well and better than men. So she really changed things for women. And she worked for the underclass. And now that's a, a classic saying of a journalist is to comfort the afflicted and inflict the comfortable. That's what she did. She took up for the little guy and she's just my hero. Absolutely. And I think while we're waiting for the book to come out, people should look up her travel journey. Around the world in 72 days. Yes. It's a great read. And you are absolutely right. It shows that women can do anything that men can do, and they've always been there. She took that her adventure on that from, from the Jules Verne book mm-hmm. around, around then, what was it, 80 days? And uh, she did him a bit better. She got around the world in 72 days. And she um, beat it, yeah. It's, uh, and plus how she traveled. I don't even think I traveled that light. If I recall, she, oh, had, no. she had one bag one. that she <laughs> took with her around the world. Exactly. Well, she said, I really didn't need that much because I could buy what I needed from port to port. So I'd have to carry all of this, all of this one bag. Yeah. No, it's an amazing read, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the ghost of Nellie Bly is up to. You like to say if it's unbelievable, you probably believe in it. What started you down the road of believing in the unbelievable? Well, I always loved weird stuff. I loved science fiction and fantasy, but I think it was the the nonfiction or supposedly nonfiction books of of the original ghost hunter, Hans Holzer who I think coined the ghost hunter name and wrote many, many books about his explorations into into this paranormal activity. As a matter of fact, just coincidentally, this year a new TV show is available on uh, either the Travel Channel or A&E. I get them mixed up, but it's the Hans Holzer Files. Oh, wow. Another coincidence is that the sort of the main ghost hunter on that show is Paranormal Radio Post called Dave Schrader, who I pay tribute to with a slightly different name in this book. So it's just kind of fun to see through life imitating fiction. Absolutely. So I hear you have a little writing partner you like to call Mr. Bitey. Yes, Mr. Bitey is formerly known as Miyabi. It's sort of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He can be so sweet and jump up in my lap and purr and be so sweet. And then his tail starts to switch, his ears fold back slightly, and he gives me the evil eye. And I know it's time to dump him to the floor because he's getting ready to bite. Well, I think Mr. Bitey has a relative in our house. We call him Holmes, but he is uh, <laughs> he, he's a Mr. Bitey himself in the same way. He's more of Mr. Hyde than, than Dr. Jekyll. That's why cats are cats. Exactly. We tell him that he's part of the he's part of the Kentucky Bitey clan. So that's it. <laughs> Is there a place online where people can follow your creative endeavors? I have a website at wolftails.com. And that is uh, the way I spell my name, W-O-L-F-E-T-A-L-E-S dot com. 
Okay. So on Facebook at uh, at Wolf Tales. Okay. Thank you for joining us today, William. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Same here. You've been listening to the Explorer's Logbook, a production of Dreaming Robot Press and the Young Explorer's Adventure Guide. 